Attention everyone, this is an emergency broadcast. The unpleasant noise you are about to hear coming from your radio is not a mistake. Please do not turn off your radio, but turn up the volume on your receiver as high as it can go so that you can make the sound we broadcast as loud as possible. Welcome to episode 65 of the Kaiju Cast, a podcast 100% dedicated to Godzilla and all of his rubber-suited foes, and this is uh, the first episode of September 2012. My name is Kyle, and I got a very special interview about a very special project that uh, you can definitely help fund from Kickstarter. We're going to be talking to the guys from Men in Suits, a documentary that's all about people wearing suits. Uh... Not suits as in, you know, dressing up nice, but suits as in monster suits. And I really hope you enjoy the interview. It's a really cool documentary from what I've seen so far, and I've heard nothing but good things about the people uh, involved in it and about the actual film itself. We have some news as well, something kind of exciting that, uh, that is uh, the least exciting for me, so hopefully it's exciting for you as well. And we're going to go ahead and start off some music with a request and... Um, I'm really sorry, I don't know who this was because I've had some trouble finding it. I just remember that somebody out there requested the title track to Godzilla vs. Destroya, and I figured that this is where I play it.
just fall from the sky. We created this, and now we all pay the price body by body. And that's the music we're going to play, at least for this portion of the show. Uh, like I said, we started off with uh, the title to Godzilla vs. Destroyer, the title track. And that was a request. And again, sorry, I don't remember who requested that. But I tried to actually look up uh, all the many forms of Destroya in my email. And I couldn't find the actual request. I just seemed to remember it. Uh, so that was for you, anonymous listener. And I uh, followed that up with Night Over the Harbor. That's from the Big Pimp Jones Hot Peas and Butter collaboration called uh, Kodoja, which is a fantastic track that sort of really reminds me very much of uh, Ifukabe's work in the Godzilla series. And then uh, because that was, you know, I wanted to keep things fresh and new, sort of, I played uh, Takeyuki Hattori's Godzilla theme 2000 Millennium, which is, of course, from uh, the film we commonly call Godzilla 2000. And uh, that's pretty much the music I'm going to play at this section, and we're going to move ahead to our interview. I was very happy to uh, get in touch with the guys who are making the Men in Suits documentary. And uh, thankfully, we have this thing called Skype, and I can interview people over the internet. So this is how that went down. 
Joining me via the internet tonight, we have both Frank Woodward and Bill Yanchevsky, who have uh, developed and produced a documentary called Men in Suits. Thank you guys so much for joining the Kaiju Cast tonight. Very excited. Yeah, happy to be here. And uh, for those unaware, uh, just please share what Men in Suits actually is and how the project came to be. Well, um, Men in Suits, it's, I guess it really started in the sense that I, I myself, and I know Bill as well, and our other partner, Jim Myers, we're all, we're all monster fans. We loved the practical monsters that we grew up with. You know, in my case, it was it, it tended to be the Godzilla films and some of the universal horror. Bill's case, he grew up on with Ultraman, as did Jim, and as well as the other Godzilla stuff. And we just really had a. I think we have always carried that love uh, for that kind of monster making, and it's something that's been disappearing a lot lately. And with Men in Suits. It wasn't so much that we wanted to talk about the making of the costumes. That's kind of been done in places. We wanted to talk about the guys who bring these creatures to life. I mean, these men and women are responsible for bringing uh, some of cinema's most famous characters to life. Godzilla, Predator, uh, the Alien, Robbie the Robot. These These are characters who are on par with Indiana Jones or James Bond. But nobody knows what they look like. Nobody knows the name of the actor who brought those ca- those characters to life. And for us, we thought it was kind of time to really start looking under the rubber, as they say, and really highlighting these actors for the, the dedication and the skill and the craft that they put in to their roles. And how did you guys get to work together? Uh, Frank, Frank and I have known each other for nearly 20 years and, and really met in, in college uh, at, a, at a fairly well-known uh, documentary school uh, at Temple University. And, uh, you know, just hit, hit it off. We had all the same geek passions. And, uh, uh, you know, one of the things that I, I oftentimes talk about, and you know, it, it feeds directly into my love of filmmaking, is it's both technical. You know, you can sort of get that 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 juice going um but it's also artistic at the same time and uh you know i think frank and i both share that passion and there's all, we also like the 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 illusion of it all you know the the, the you know, nothing is real in film uh, no matter what you're do you're doing uh so there's those you know making those illusions which i guess also ties into what these people with men and that we feature in men in suits do uh there there was a some enjoyment in trying to figure out how to do it, especially in the days that we were doing it in film school, you know, before CG, not to date us or anything, but you know, before CG really came about, about you were doing everything very practical and very, you know, you were shooting on film, which is a chemical process. It was a lot, it's a lot more interesting. I thought. Yeah, I actually don't know many people that prefer CG over practical effects, especially when it comes to suits and and monsters and explosions. I do. Big Hollywood producers. <laughs> oh, right. Producers. Yeah, of course. Of course. <laughs> well, there's the mistake that it saves money. Uh, and in some cases it can. But if you're really going for photorealistic anything, it takes just as much time and and money to realize it at, in post-production as it would have if you built a, a, a practical suit or a practical a special effect. You know, I'll, I'll say I'll say something which isn't particularly fair, but at the same time, it's incredibly fair. Um, you know, imagine uh, Godzilla uh, had been done with CG. Uh, now, obviously, it's not fair because it was you know pre-CG. But you know, I'm a huge fan. I, I grew up on Ultraman and, and Johnny Sacco, and one of the things that just tears my heart out is uh, the the uh, 
Ultraman series from Australia from the I think it was probably the mid '80s. Uh, and it has piles of CG, and it is just the the most awful, awful thing ever. And at the time, I know that it must have seemed super, super sexy. It just it doesn't hold up over time, whereas practical stuff does. And you know anybody that you know that we talk to who who works in the industry now, it, it's very much look. It's going to be hybrid from this point on. Uh, if it's going to be if it's going to be practical, it's going to be married with with other effects, but hopefully in a in a good way. Clearly, I'll go see movies that are released these days, and they do have CGI stuff in them. But for me, it's more about uh, recognizing what I see on screen as something that's that's uh, tangible and real versus something that you know might uh, not have that sort of weight to it that you see in, in, in an all-CGI creation. I don't think we mean to dogpile on any CG. I mean, it has its place, and it definitely can do some things that can't be done practical or, you know, is you know better off being done in a, in a different uh, way. Uh, but I think ever, most people who work in uh, visual and special effects, they both think they both agree that the, the marriage between the two is where you really uh, you excel. That's where you're really going to see some of the best effects work when you kind of mix the magic trick up so people aren't hip to the fact that it's all CG. They're not, sometimes they're not sure if it's forced perspective or if it's a costume or if it's CG or something like that. And those types of films that you see, like Lord of the Rings does it. Uh, the uh, Hellboy movies do it. Um, uh, and uh, even the Jurassic Park movies do it. And those, uh, those work better that way, I think. Yeah, I like it when they blur the line. Between, exactly. between, the, between the technologies. So let's talk a little bit about the actual documentary itself. You guys, uh, now you have, I, I've been seeing things about men in suits for the past couple of years, I think. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long road. Yes. It, it, the, route, the, the road for an independent filmmaker is long and windy. But uh, what's, the, what's the current status of the project? The current status of the project is we, uh, we just, uh, we're about, we're actually in the last eight days of a, uh, a Kickstarter campaign for our finishing funds, which would pay for music and for the final sound mix and actually for the uh, first run of DVDs. Uh, the film is cut. It's been cut. It's been timed out, color, color corrected. Music is underway. Uh, the Kickstarter campaign been, has been very successful for us in helping us to uh, cross the finish line. Um, so we're, the film is almost completed. We're we're looking at a, uh, a we have, although we haven't officially announced a date yet, but we're looking at it coming out sometime around Halloween. Oh, excellent time to do that! <laughs> so uh, the Kickstarter project, which you mentioned, is uh, currently online, and it's uh, yes. it's online until is it the seventeenth? Is that what it is? Uh, that's a very. I think it may be the nineteenth. Se- September yeah. ninth. September nineteenth. Yes. At one o three p.m. Eastern time. <laughs> yes. So there's still some time. It looks like you guys have... Now, the good news for those listening who are interested in this uh, documentary is that they have exceeded their goal. Uh, but there's there's definitely reason for, for people who are interested in this to continue to back this project. And uh, maybe you guys can share a little bit of why that, that's important. Yeah, sure. I mean, well, well, I mean go ahead, go ahead Well, I'll just say that... Uh, 
Many years ago, uh, you know, I heard the the adage that you should never be your both a producer and a director at the same time, because uh, the producer is there to say no, and the director is there to say more. We want more. Uh, I, I think that Frank and I both tend to end up in the director camp, where we we put everything we have into these films. So the better we do in the Kickstarter campaign, the more it actually goes into the into the film itself. Um, uh, especially in these last moments where we have some some nice little things that we're adding into it. Um, and the thing that we find probably more than anything, you know, we've had some really big and we're very, very grateful for some, some of the big donations that have come in. But I think it's a, what, Frank, the $25 level? It's, uh, it's yeah, the 25 Yeah, that's, that's it's a, it's a, been the most popular. It's, it's the, basically a pre-order for the DVD, um, which for, for us I think is really exciting because you know we're independent filmmakers. We've, we've gone the self-distribution route. We've gone with other distributors. Uh, and they're all, you know, everything has its own challenges in terms of getting what we're making into people's hands. And when people go into Kickstarter, I think this is a real sense of ownership um, and a, and a sense of I, I was a part of that so that anybody who comes in and donates at this point is effectively pre-ordering the disc and they'll be among the first people to get it. Uh, we have a bunch of other cool stuff that, that, that's there as well. Uh, and even at the $25 level, in addition to being among the first people to get it, I mean, we're, we are obviously giving them what we're calling the gorilla, le gorilla level uh, special thanks. Uh, these are good, the people, they're going to be among the first to join the men in suits cause, as it were. Uh, in addition to getting being among the first to actually get the film in their hands, so there's some, there's some uh, merit to still uh, visiting Kickstarter and contributing, especially at the twenty five dollar level, because you get the film and you 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 uh, as Bill said, I mean you get to be a part of it to to an extent. Yeah, I and would actually say that uh, one of the as a as a fan of just film in general, a frustrating thing to me is when I I find out that something awesome is coming out. And uh, and then I know it's been released, but it's such a small market that I might not have been able to to see it. And then I can't mm -hmm. see it for so long. So that's a really great idea to like continue to back this project, essentially. And we're hoping too. I mean, this is look. We all know the world's been changing. Which with with internet, to say the internet changed is changed the world is an understatement. But for independent filmmakers, it's allowed a lot of filmmakers to go out and fund their own projects, distribute their own projects, spread the word on their own. And um, the other thing that the Internet has kind of taught filmmakers is that the, if there's a demand, you can satisfy it and you should satisfy it. And uh, it makes the Internet makes it more nimble for people to do that. Um, Especially on an independent level, like like Weird, Weird is our company Weird. Um, it's for me, it's exciting. I'm I'm excited to find that this that so many people support what we're doing. I don't think everybody's heard about it yet. The word is still spreading, which is why we're you know happy to be here on KaijuCast. And then more, and more hopefully, more people will find out about it. Excellent. Well, I'm I really hope that people do uh, do back this project for you guys. I mean, it's great that you guys already have uh, met your goal, and I know that anything else that you guys get will just help make the project better and, and continue it on. So uh, I did have some questions for you, just, just sort of about the content. Um, how, long is the actual, uh, how long is the actual documentary going to be? The documentary will be just a little over 90 minutes, uh, and, but we're going to have at least that much in extras on the disc. Oh, excellent. Um, uh, one of the, uh, the big extras on the disc, which I'm actually finishing the cut on now, is uh, we did a, a, a panel discussion at Monster Palooza last year, uh, 
also called Men in Suits, where we had most of the actors that who appear in the documentary on stage together, including Haru Nakajima, Doug Jones, Bob Burns, Tom Woodruff, uh, Brian Steele, a lot of great actors. And um, you know, there, what's great about that panel is that it it, co it covers a lot of stuff that we didn't get to cover in the documentary as well. So it pure, it really is one of those nice supplements as opposed to just uh, extras that are a lot of previews. Very cool. Um, so, but the, the the film itself is at, timing out at ninety minutes right now. With some of the little things we're uh, we're tweaking and adding, it may go a little bit over. Cool, cool. And so, uh, you guys, you mentioned all the all the actors that you have uh, interviewed in this. How did you get in touch with all these guys? I think that's actually part of the reason why it's why this documentary is taking a little while to to get done because they they. You know, you either wait. We're, we're based in Los Angeles, so either you wait until they come here, or we actually go there. Um, and it just takes a while to get, you know, to sort of curate uh, a really great group of people that that cover such such a big span. Um, and you know, it's live. It's through direct direct approach. Live. It's through people that we know. I'll, I'll let Frank talk a little bit more about it. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, we, I mean, uh, to our because of the previous films we've done, like Lovecraft, Fear of the Unknown, and and the Splat Pack. And also myself and Jim, uh, we have a background in doing DVD extras for Anchor Bay. We've met a lot of these people through work or through conventions. So um, the beauty of the hor horror film and science fiction communities is that everybody's very generous with their time. They love talking about this stuff, stuff because they are fans like us. Um, so you know, getting somebody to sit down and talk and geek out, as it were, for an hour is is reasonably easy to do the hard part comes in the sense that a lot of these well you know a lot of these actors i mean some of them some of them have retired but the ones who haven't retired they're working actors they work a lot and that's as bill was saying it's just hard to you know get the timing down um but in general once we met we got contact information either through working with them before or in the case of doug jones running into him at comic con um and uh, telling them what we were doing, uh, it, we we found getting the people to say yes was re relatively easy. Scheduling it took a little bit of doing. Yeah, I, I had the pleasure of meeting Doug Jones at Crypticon a couple of years ago, and I uh, I was I was warned ahead of time that he was like the nicest guy I'll ever meet, and yeah. he was absolutely just a thrill to talk to, and and he was just super super nice. So that's really great that you guys have him specifically. I mean, you've got a lot of people in here, oh, yeah. but I'm just I, when I saw Doug Jones's name on there, I just knew for for sure that I needed to see this documentary. <laughs> if you if you meet Doug, you're definitely in for some hugs because he, he he's all <laughs> yeah. about he's all he's about absolutely. And I love his work too. And this is I mean, it's sort of the same thing. Uh, you know, I'm a big Hellboy fan, and uh, I love his work in those two movies. Plus, you know, he he played uh, two of the monsters or three of the monsters. And Pan's Labyrinth as well. I'm just really, uh, really thrilled every time I see his name on screen. And I know, I know. I think right now he's on uh, Falling Skies. In fact, the, for all the people who uh, watched the season finale, uh, the the there was a new alien introduced, and from what I understand, uh, the Mr. Doug Jones is going to be uh, in season three quite a bit. Very cool. So, um, out of the interviews that you guys have done, have have there been any like? just highlights for you, just something that you took away from one of the interviews that was like, man, I am so glad that that guy sat down to talk to us. <laughs> well, I mean, clearly, 
and not, and, and this is not just being the like the the diplomat. I mean, everybody we met, everybody we sat down with, was a, a lot of fun. Yeah, for various different reasons, but even almost almost everybody in the documentary would also say just meeting Mr. Nakajima was a high point. I mean, you're meeting the guy that when you think of a man in a suit, you think of his role as, as Godzilla. Um, he can't get around it. And he was just such, so full of life, so kind, and, ta- and he also a hugger as well. So, you know, be, just be, be on the lookout. <laughs> the, man's got, the man's got a bear hug on him. Uh, so, well, he's but, had a lot of um, training and grappling. I'm sure yeah, he's, he's, he's he does, yeah, just, and he has some he has some really amazing stories as well. He does. He has some really amazing stories. He was a man. The man's he was there for it. He was there for a lot of the perfection of of the technique of being a man in a suit, um, and it, it has endured. The funny thing that is that we found that he was saying to us was that in Japan. Uh, be- since Ultraman came out, Ultraman is huge. Ultraman is is endured, has become you know the, cl- the closet industry that it is in Japan. But Mr. Nakajima seemed to feel that his work as Godzilla is is been mostly forgotten back in Japan. Hmm. And hmm. I, when he came out here and appeared at Monster Palooza, he was very pleasantly surprised at the amount of uh, people who were lining up around the, the, the convention center to meet him. I think he was. Uh, he was definitely he was definitely taken aback by that, and and I'm actually shocked to hear that somebody who has done as many films as Mr. Nakajima has could be forgotten. I don't. I that's perplexing to me, um, which is all, even all the more reason why we're happy that he's in the documentary. Oh, absolutely. And did did you guys? So you did all the interviews for Nakajima at Monster Palooza, right? Yeah, that was one. Of, that was one of the things that was we we wanted. Mr. Nakajima in the documentary for obvious reasons, uh, and um, we knew uh, that through our through our friends um, August Bragone uh, being one of them, um, that he, he, there was talk of him coming to the states soon, uh, and it ended up being for Monster Palooza. So f- for us, it was kind of like if Godzilla is coming to us, we wait. <laughs> That's excellent because if Godzilla comes to your city, you should definitely hang out and wait for him. Definitely hang out <laughs> or flee. You could also flee. That's an option. We we have <laughs> my friends tell me that it that they think if Godzilla actually showed up in Portland, that I would like run up to him with my arms wide and just try to get the biggest <laughs> hug I could off of his ankle or something like that. Uh, uh anyway. <laughs> but you would be you you would be you would die in his breath, which would be fine, right? What a way to go. That's what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah. <laughs> So aside from uh, getting it in the hands of fans, uh, do you guys have any any plans for a large scale or, or may, not a large scale maybe, but like a theatrical release for this in the states? Uh, you, know, you know, we're we, actually uh, and we are looking into some doing some things like that and, and possibly touring with it and, and and going that route. I mean, a, a lot of independent documentaries and films nowadays are are going the the special appearance and four walling it. Um, you know. At, our first goal, though, really is just to make sure the film gets out there now in a way that fans can enjoy it. And as much as I love the idea of being in a theater uh, and welcome it, and we are obviously always going to be looking to do that, um, DVD and downloads, that, that gets it out to the fans the fastest. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I'll, I'll also say that, you know, it's one of those, we, we knew that we had a, a good idea on our hands when I, when I went home and mentioned it to my wife, my beautiful wife, who is not as into this st- type of stuff as Your, your as beautiful I am. and patient wife. Is that, <laughs> yes, is that very beautiful and patient wife. And so, you know, we, I mentioned it to her and she's like, oh, well, I, this is a story Frank and I have is, you know, her first reaction was, I didn't even know that was a job. <laughs> I would watch that. You know, and so it goes from, you know, our passions, uh, you know, sometimes like, again, Lovecraft, which was our first documentary, it has a, a, a small but devout following. Um, and it really seems like this film is the first one that we're doing that, that is a, it's a Hollywood story, right? It's a human story. It's about artistry. It's about, it's about athleticism. It's about, you know, popular culture. And it's broad enough that we actually think that, that it deserves a, an airing on broadcast television. So I think that that's... For me, that's maybe one of the next big stops that we, we, we start making is shopping it around for, for the broadcast rights. Because um, it really is, it's a, it's a beautiful, some, you know what, Frank, I'm not sure I mentioned this, but somebody told me the other day um, that it was like Visions of Light, but with giant monsters. And, uh, well, Visions of Light with John giant monsters, I, I, I'd be okay with that on the box. Likewise. <laughs> the quote. Um, the quote on the front of the box. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Find, find that person again, and I hope, uh, as long as it's not my mother. <laughs> no, it's not. I know it is. I can't, as much as uh, she'll, she'll, she'll give us a good quote, it's probably wouldn't it would. read as well in the box. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think I, with the, with all these with any film you do nowadays, you, still the standard is to get into theaters. Um, but I I don't know. I don't know if that's. It used to be that basically, if you just went straight to video, you you people kind of looked at you and consoled you and said, "Oh, I, you, you at least got your film out on, on DVD." Now I don't think that matters anymore. I mean, in this day and age, especially with the amount of entertainment that people are watching online, um, a film being released is a film being released, and I think that's a really good good place to be. It gives a lot of filmmakers uh, a chance to do things whichever way they want to do it. So you guys have uh, have have mentioned your your love of the the, the king of the monsters. Uh, what what would you say? You know, e- each of you, what's your favorite Godzilla movie? Well, mine is the first movie I technically ever saw in a theater, which was Godzilla versus the Smog Monster. Ah, we're just about to do a commentary for that movie, actually. Oh, really? Oh, excellent, excellent. If I, one um, move, if one movie survives the apocalypse, the end of the earth, it should be that film. Yes, I mean because that it's just like the the notion of Godzilla being able to fly through the air with his own breath, <laughs> priceless. Uh, I would somewhat agree with that. <laughs> One of the cool things about uh, Godzilla, Godzilla versus the Small Monster that I remember also was that the, the poster had, you know, the, the people being turned into skeletons, their skin being evaporated as uh, Hedora flew over them, and uh, there was just so, such a powerful image. And then, of course, the scene in the film equally as powerful. Uh, it was one of the first introductions, I think, for me to the darker side of genre or fiction that you can have. So yeah, Smog Monster, Godzilla versus the Smog Monster is, is key for me, in a, uh, not just in a kaiju way, but in, in, in just in horror and science fiction way as well. Fantastic. What about you, Bill? Uh, you know, I, I, I'll say that, that growing up, Godzilla wasn't my number one. Um, and part of that's just because I was so much, uh, so much more into the Ultraman and Johnny Sacco stuff. Uh, I watched them all, uh, and I liked them. And I want to, I want, I want to be classy and say, hey, I like the first one the best. 
Because, I mean, it is actually, I do like the, the first film. But uh, I have to agree with Frank that, you know, we're, we're basically the same age. And I think that, I think there was something about the smog monster that hit our childhood sensibilities. You know, it, it had a, it had the awesome scale of Godzilla films, but also had this sort of zest and childlike fun to it. And the score when when Godzilla is like punching into the smog monster and ripping the guts out I, to this day just sends chills down my spine. It's it, it, that it was it was a great roller coaster. I, I love that film. And what were those guts? I just remember him bringing these. There was just more out, smog, slimy no, orbs, the, and I'm like, what the, the hell is this? The inside was more or less like the outside, but yeah, there was there was there was other stuff. Oh no, he definitely pulls out two orb things, and I want to say that the the most popular theory that I've had that those those, those are eggs. I don't know, or his eyes. I'm not exactly sure. So so, Bill, you talked about Ultraman. Yeah. What uh, mind if I grill you a little bit about about sure. Ultraman monsters? Have, do, do any of the monsters? Because I I look at that series, and I'm I'm a new fan to the Ultraman yeah. series. I look at those monsters which are my favorite parts of the of the of the of the show essentially mm-hmm. and uh i love the different kind of just out there designs those are those That's are crazy. some of my favorites like what what are some of the monsters that you remember most of all from ultraman you know the two of them stand out one i, I can't tell you the name of it um uh, but i can tell you what happens it's it's a creature that comes to life because a boy draws him with chalk oh. on this ball Yes, Old, I just you know that saw that one, and I—that's I, actually one of my favorite episodes of Ultraman. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's a, it's a wonderful one, and I actually, as a kid, you know, I drew that. It was like one of the first bits of art that I ever did that was like, you know, clearly better than anybody else. I, I'm I'm a creative director, so I do I'm I'm either working with artists or doing art myself all you know all day, um, and so that was sort of like in a lot of ways started my career down the path of art. Um, but I also love there's there's a creature called Pigmon um, that's made multiple appearances. I think it was actually in Ultra Q, I, uh, and it just got repurposed. And is this it is it is an awesome design. It's also the the saddest possible creature. It's like a little boy who's been mutated into a giant, you know, monster. And Ultraman beats the the the, the poop out of him. And you know, we only find out later in the story that it's this child that's been mutated. <laughs> it's just like, oh my God, is the this is the saddest, awful like even his face has this perpetual frown on it. He's got <laughs> these big droopy hands. Look him up. He's it's a, it's a wonderful design. Thank you guys so much for talking to me uh about men in suits. Uh is there anything else you guys want to cover? Or we uh I can definitely point people to the Kickstarter in the show notes. Well, definitely, definitely come by the Kickstarter page in, the, in our final eight days, uh, which may, uh, I'm not sure when this will uh, air, but it may be seven by the time if it airs tomorrow. But definitely come by the Kickstarter, and also definitely uh, visit our, our our Men in Suits fan page because we we continue to share images of uh, classic guys in suits as well as, as the, some that's of the on, new guys. That's on Facebook. Um, and uh, yes, on Facebook and uh, our Facebook fan page for minutes. And also, you can go to uh, weirdstuff.com, W Y R D S T U F F.com. Uh, we will be updating about men this as it, as it uh, crosses the finish line and, and starts to get out there. Um, so, there's, there's definitely places to keep in touch with us. And uh, if you do join our fan page, please be feel uh, feel free to share what your favorite monster is and post whatever clips you may have or if you're a guy in a suit yourself uh 
uh, that we unfortunately weren't able to uh, put in the documentary. Come and share your your story because for uh, for us, it's really kind of championing that art. Excellent. Well, Frank and Bill, thank you so much for joining us on the Kaiju Cast. Oh, thank you. And, I love uh, the show. Really appreciate that, and I cannot wait to see to see the documentary. Oh, thanks. Thanks very much. Cool. Right. Thank you. All right. Well, hang, have a good night. Man, it was a very, very, very big pleasure to talk to those guys. I am definitely looking forward to their documentary, and I hope you are too. I hope you also go out there and donate to the cause and uh, help make Men in Suits a better production and, you know, get a hold of the DVD while you're at it. And with that, let's go ahead and move into the KaijuCast news. United Nations reporter Eric Carter with the news. The world is stunned to discover that prehistoric creatures exist in the 20th century. The armies have been alerted as we wait for more news from Japan. Okay, so uh, as far as news goes, it's kind of a weird month or a weird span of two weeks for news. Uh, There's not like a lot of concrete information. The coolest thing, in my opinion, is that um, uh, Ultra 7 is going to be released on DVD from the Shout Factory. Now, the way that I found out about this is that uh, somebody linked to it on um, somebody linked to it from from Facebook somewhere and said, "Is this real?" And uh, I guess they posted that on the Sci-Fi Japan uh, Facebook page. Yes, in fact, it is real, and uh, it's coming out uh, later this year. And August Ragoni has been, I guess, involved with it, and uh, like I said, Shout Factory is producing it. If you haven't heard of Shout Factory before, they released a whole bunch of Gamera DVDs, like, um, over the past year, I think. I'm doing terrible at that, but uh, it might have been the year before. It's a, They did a really great job on them. I own most of them. I'm actually staring at them on my on my DVD shelf, but it's just too far for me to get up and look at, so... Uh, just be excited, really, that that an Ultra series is getting released. Cause, and I don't know all the details, quite honestly. I'm As people who have listened to the show know, I'm not a massive Ultraman fan. I have been trying to get into the stuff a lot more uh, as, as of late, especially since meeting uh, Ben Fiora at G-Fest and um, talking with a whole bunch of different fans about the, the, the series itself. So... I've been watching the original 1966 series. I've got a few episodes of my on my computer of Ultra 7 uh, that I've been uh, sort of watching, and um, I'm definitely, definitely going to pick up the set when it comes out. Um, now, specifically, that's awesome, and um, everyone should be excited about that, but there's a reason, there's a super strong reason why you should support it. So on the on the Sci-Fi Japan Facebook page, they made a posting, or Keith made a posting, about the actual DVD set, because uh, some people were asking about it. And so, uh, in the at this at this moment, it is a, I believe an eighty plus comment long uh, posting. Uh, Keith goes on to describe some of the stuff that's going on between. Uh, between the company that's releasing it and Chayo and Subaraya, that whole mess, which I don't actually follow that whole thing, to be perfectly honest. I know I should, but uh, maybe that'll be on the horizon. Anyway, they're talking about the release of Ultra 7. Keith mentions a group called the Golden Media Group, uh, who I guess is the, I think they're the group that produces the actual DVDs for Shout Factory. 
And apparently, uh, the president of that company is a guy named Roy McGarry. I want to say that's how you say his name. Maybe, maybe I can actually talk to him someday. Here, here's the nugget of information. He, um, he's talking. He makes. A, he actually makes some comments in this thread. And um, one of the threads, he's sort of like trying to contain the the up and down from the fans about whether they should buy the release or not buy the release. Um, again, you should buy the release, and here's why. Um, he does say at one point, uh, thanks for your questions and interest. The only additional title we plan to release is Ultra Q. Okay. That's huge. Huge, huge, huge. So... Uh, please, 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 please buy the Ultra 7 set because we really want to make sure, I really want to make sure, and anybody out there who has been clamoring for Ultra Q should be making sure that they buy that set in order to support Shout Factory and show that they are really, really interested in getting Ultra Q on DVD. That is, um, that is what I'll be doing. If not buying uh, two sets, maybe I will buy two sets and give one away as a special prize in the Kaiju Cast because I guess that's around the same time as um, as it's going to be time for another live show, another listener party live show, which I haven't really talked to anybody about. I probably should not have said that out loud, but uh, there it is. Uh, please support that release. It's uh, the Ultra 7. I'll have a link in the show notes both to August Ragoni's blog and also to the Amazon order page. Because I don't think there's anything on the Shout Factory website. I looked, I looked there earlier this week. In other news, SciFiJapan.com has some, uh, as, as we've talked about before on the show, they have Sci-Fi Japan TV, which they've been working on through the Gaijin channel. Um, basically, they have an update to the Tokusatsu Museum exhibit. I'll have a link in the show notes to that. In addition to that, Sci-Fi Japan just posted a brand new vlog, video log, uh, uh, called Meeting Godzilla. And while I would like to tell you what it's about, I think it's probably better for me to just let these guys explain it. All right, hey everybody, I'm JR, I'm Jim, and we are here at Sakataeki. This is in Yamagata Prefecture. We came all the way from Shiba to Yamagata to see a Haruo Nakajima uh, that's the first Godzilla um, Haruo Nakajima photo exhibition. Not only that, but Haruo Nakajima was here in person. The reason why it's uh, the event's happening here in Sakata is um, this is actually the birthplace of Nakajima-san. Anyway, so as you can see, they've got a... It's basically like supplemental material to Sci-Fi Japan TV. So make sure you go check that out. It's pretty cool. And uh, as, as, like I said last time... Subscribe to their to their feed through the uh, through the YouTube, and we're gonna move on to something else that's off also on SciFiJapan.com. They have uh, because recently the Sony Channel uh, played a whole bunch of Godzilla films. They have uh, recently reposted the Godzilla 2000 production notes, which are of course the production notes for when it was released here in the U.S. So check that out. I'll have a link in the show notes to that. Also, Ed Gojuseski has uh, another wonderful report. This one is the Summer Wonder Festival, and there are a ton of really cool model kits under there. Uh, lots of good photos from Ed. I'm hoping that Norman posts some on Facebook as well because he always has um, amusing photos too. But basically, I'm really excited because uh, the Team Ukeke, I think is how you say that, or the Resin Chef Group, 
has finally made a, an A-Cycle Light Ray kit, and I am very much in, interested in buying that kit to have a realistic A-Cycle Light Ray to put right next to my Mazer Cannon, because I'm a huge fan of Monster Zero. And I am blathering on, so I think we're going to just move along from the news and talk about local events. It's not a local event coming up, but we just went to Rose City Comic Con this last weekend, and it was fantastic. They had a, a pretty impressive amount of guests, like media guests, for their first year out. They had Richard Hatch, uh, they had, who played... Um, Richard Hatch played Apollo in the first Battlestar Galactica series. And he played Tom Zarek in the new Battlestar Galactica series that was out on uh, the Sci-Fi Channel. They also had Kathy Coleman, who played Holly Marshall on the Land of the Lost television series. Noah Hathaway, who uh, also played a role on the original Battlestar Galactica. He played the kid, Boxy. Not to mention he played Atreyu in The NeverEnding Story. And they had Jessica Ray, who uh, was the white Power Ranger on Power Rangers Wild Force. Anyway, this convention was two days. It was at the Doubletree, and to be quite honest, I was uh, the Doubletree here is sort of like the lowest of the low as far as where you can have conventions. They have low ceilings. Their convention space is a converted parking garage, and it's very... They don't have a lot of ventilation there, not a lot of good air conditioning, and it gets hot really easily. And it did get hot, but they had um, they had pipe and drape up, which uh, basically is like black curtains on rods that sort of separate your uh, your aisles and your rows. And it looked really professional. And on uh, Saturday morning, when we when we got there, there was there was a huge line to get in, and it was just really really great. I mean, a lot of people came out to see it. A lot of great vendors were there. A ton of comic book artists came out to be a part of it. They had those media guests. The 501st Legion and Rebel Legion were there representing. Uh, they had a big giant booth where they were taking photos and raising money. And it was really great to see those guys again. A lot of those people are my friends because uh, I'm a member of the group. And uh, a lot of podcasters were there. I got to hang out with the Chronicles of the Nerds guys. Big shout out to those guys for uh, letting me sell my Kaiju Cast prints at their table. Got to hang out with uh, some other friends of mine who I haven't seen in a while. And basically, we just had a blast in the. It pretty much took over my entire weekend. We went to the after party on Saturday, uh, saw the costume contest, saw the double clicks play. Man, it was, it was fantastic. And I want to uh, officially give a gigantic. Thank you, and a gigantic uh, round of appreciative drinks to Ron and his partner Dave for putting on such an amazing show and for it being so amazing for its first year. I really have very high hopes for next year and uh, really want to become a part of the show and uh, turn Rose City Comic Con into the something even bigger and better, and I know it can happen because uh, I think the, the news was that their, uh, their first day they had 2,500 people come through the door, and twice they actually, or two or three times, they had to um, actually stop the line of people coming in. So they were at capacity several times during the day, which is fantastic news for them. And uh, seriously, seriously, thanks again for putting that on. And um, if you guys are anywhere near the area, you should definitely check out Road City Comic Con next year because I'm pretty sure 2013 is a go. Now, as far as upcoming events go, 
Uh, let's see, tonight is the 11th, so that means that the next thing that you guys should know about is at 7 p.m. at the Portland Things from Another World. Things from Another World is bringing in Jonathan Case, who has a comic called The Creep, and he's going to be signing there for that. They'll have, a, a, as usual, they will have free beer and free food. Beer is only available if you have a valid ID saying you're over 21, of course. Uh, on the 13th at Ground Control, they have their free play party. That's always fun. You should definitely check out Ground Control. They are the best, um, the best arcade that I've seen in in years and years. They're, I think they're probably the best in the nation. Uh, Ground Control is located downtown. Go ahead and check them out. Uh, let's see what is next on the schedule here. At 6 p.m. on the 14th of September at Bridge City Comics, Chris Robertson, Rich Ellis, and Grace Allison are going to be there signing their book, Memorial. If this is anything like other signings that have happened at Bridge City Comics, make sure you get there early because there's going to be a huge line uh, to get those uh, those creators signing their stuff. Not to mention, uh, Mike usually has a cool print that he's developed for the uh, for the event. I have some of them on my wall. On Saturday the 16th, Floating World Comics has a brand new art show that's Yakuza Yega inspired, so Yakuza film inspired, called Battles Without Honor and Humanity. It starts at 6 p.m. and it is free to the public, so check that out. I'll have a link in, to all these things in the, in the show notes. And, uh, and definitely get out there and check out these awesome, awesome events. Uh, but we're moving on. On Wednesday the 19th, there's going to be a signing, another signing at the Portland Things from Another World. This time, Ibrahim Mustafa is signing uh, copies of The Pound. And actually, Ibrahim is a, is a local artist, but not only is he a local artist and, and is, uh, has a comic book coming out, he is also a member of the Chronicles of the Nerds family, uh, the, the podcasters there. And for some weird reason, I had never met him. And uh, during the show, he was there as one of the guests, and I, I, I got to talk to him. And uh, for, it was weird. Like, we've been in the same town, and we know the same people. And just for some reason, I'm, I'm sure we've even been, been at the same events we just never met before. So super nice guy. If you're in town around that time, make sure you check out the signing at Things from Another World off of Broadway. Oh, and I seem to have glossed over the fact that on the 18th at the Kennedy School is, of course, Geek Trivia, hosted by Court and Fatboy, put on by Things from Another World. Uh, show up at 7 or starts at 7 o'clock. You need to get there a lot earlier, probably around like 5.30 is uh is uh, the time that I've seen people going uh, as of late. Geek trivia is always a fun time, and uh, you know it's a it's a good way to win like hundreds of d- of dollars in prizes. Sponsored by things from another world, of course. Uh, now zipping over to the twenty first, uh, we have a we have a bar in town called the Tardis Room, and they are actually that's right. We have a Doctor Who themed bar here in Portland. And they have a concert there called the Gnome Federation Society Invades the TARDIS Room. Um, it should be interesting. I mean, the, the, the flyer alone is pretty cool. They've got like two uh, porta potties sitting next to a TARDIS, and, um, which is something I've always equated the TARDIS to look like. Uh, that's just me, though, I think. <laughs> Actually, no, it's not just me, because clearly uh, they have it there, too. I'm, I'm doing the show by myself right now, so I'm getting a little loopy. I think it's time to move on. On Saturday, the 22nd, the Portland Things from Another World. See how busy they are? Seriously? Uh, The Portland Things from Another World at 6 p.m. is hosting a Firefly 10th anniversary celebration. 
and it's huge. It's actually, there's too much stuff for me to actually go into right now. Uh, as with everything else, there's a link in the show notes to all this stuff. So go make sure you check that out, especially if you like, you know, Firefly. I know it's a pretty big deal. And then on the 23rd, Sunday the 23rd, 7 p.m. at Ground Control, the video game quiz show is back. On the 28th at the Wonder Ballroom, Amanda Palmer is coming back. I'm not sure if tickets are still available there, but she's uh, playing with the Grand Theft Orchestra. On the 29th and the 30th, the Portland Retro Gaming Expo comes back, and uh, it is at the Oregon Convention Center this time, which is amazing and very cool because the last time uh, they were at the Doubletree, and quite honestly, uh, the Doubletree is not a good place for the Portland Retro Gaming Expo. The nerd funk was high, my friends, and the concentration was too much for my uh, delicate, delicate nose. So I'm really glad they're in the Oregon Convention Center this year. Wicked high ceilings in that place, and they're just, it's, it's a great move on their part. Also, uh, the same night, there's the Geeklesque Powers Up 2, both uh, two shows at 7.30 and 11 p.m. at the Star Theater. And uh, if you recall, the organizer of Geeklesque, uh, the Mad Marquis, was on the show a couple of times, and he's a, he's a Godzilla fan. He, he enjoys the movies, but he's the guy that organizes these shows, and they're always a ton of fun. Uh, they can get rowdy. Clearly, these are 21 and over shows because there's some half-naked people uh, parading around on stages, but they're still a lot of fun and um, totally worth going to. Now, that's about it for local events. I just want to say one more time that this is just a, a handful of what's on the calendar for September. I'm sure there's even more on the calendar for October, all on geekportland.com. If you're in Portland or near Portland or want to visit Portland and you are a geeky person, if you're listening to this podcast and you've already made it to this far in the episode, the chances are you are definitely a geeky person. So go check out geekportland.com and, uh, and enjoy the amazing things that are happening here in this town. And last but not least, I have a couple of housekeeping issues. Uh, the first of which is that tomorrow night, I've got guys coming over to record the commentary for Godzilla versus Hedora. We're not going to be watching the AIP dub, although if you have it, you could probably try and sync it up to that. Uh, the people involved in that are going to be myself, Jeff Dean, uh, Brian Cook, who just moved to Portland and is a big Godzilla fan, and he's been on the show a couple of times, and hopefully Dave Helfrey, a.k.a. Baron Von Gulu, although at this time of year he is super, super busy uh, with his Fright Town haunted house, and I would not hold it against him if he was unable to make it. So we're going to be recording that tomorrow night. I still have a ton of work in order to uh, to be comfortable sitting there recording for the whole time. Uh, additionally, uh, I noticed when I was looking at the Daikaiju discussions that we, if you include the last uh, film that we watched, uh, we're not actually scheduled to have an actual Godzilla film until... Uh, about a year from now. So what I'm going to be doing is <clears throat> because, you know, you guys come here mostly for Godzilla movies, I'm going to be doing a little creative editing, moving some things around so that we don't have such a massive gap between the King's films. So we're going to get that situated. Uh, speaking of Daikaiju discussions, our next movie, if you hadn't heard, is Mothra 3. And we are going to be watching that uh, this month. 
probably, let's see here, if I'm looking at the calendar, I think what we're going to be doing is we're going to be watching it probably on the weekend of the 23rd, the 22nd, sometime in there. So please get your homework sent in before the 21st. So that only gives you a little over a week to get your homework sent in. And again, we're going to be watching Mothra 3. That's the one where Mothra goes back in time and uh, to save the world, a.k.a you know, the kids. So we're going to be watching that and enjoying the insanity that ensues. Uh, hopefully you will be able to join us for that. If you would like to join us for that, just send your thoughts, questions, and reviews to controller at kaijucast.com as in an email format. And of course, uh, as always, I try and ask people to put the subject of that email, put that kaiju discussions and I'll get your, your homework included in the next episode of the kaiju cast. And clearly I'm talking, I'm rambling. This has gone on for way too long. So we're going to go ahead and close things out. This is uh, a song that is actually, I know it's from another movie, but it's, um, I pulled this off the Godzilla Perfect Soundtrack Collection by Akira Fukube. It's called Mazer Beast Killer Ray Vehicle March. And uh, I will see you in the next episode of the Kaiju Cast, or you'll, you'll hear me in the next episode of the Kaiju Cast. Make sure you follow us on the Facebook, on the Twitter, uh, and I've got the Tumblr. Follow us there too. And also, you know, uh, please do uh, subscribe to the podcast through iTunes or some other podcast aggregate, like an RSS feed kind of thing. Uh, it does help out. And if you want to write, if you like the Kaiju Cast, or if you don't like the Kaiju Cast, you want to write a review. I prefer the positive ones, obviously, but uh, a review on iTunes would be splendid. I think uh, I don't have anything more to say. That's a, that's about enough self-promotion. I'm kind of making myself sick. So here's Akira Fukube's Mazer Beast Killer Ray Vehicle March. Until next time, Jamata. Jamata.